Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point: The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Good evening, Susan. How are you? I'm doing better every day. I called oh, good. On the jitterbug phone, because I knew you'd recognize the number. I have a new landline. Oh, I see it now. I see the 247 on there. I'm going to put you through on that one. 
Let's switch over to that. Okay. Because I think we'll get better sound quality. There is a little bit of an echo still. I wonder why. Because the other phone was still on. Oh, I see. Okay. This. this good? Yeah, that's clear. Yes, so clear. Great. I'm <laughs> Wonderful. Boy, just Yay. we worked for hours today to get this landline working. Calls back and forth to, you know, just craziness. But we got it. Hooray. How are you today? I'm doing good, yeah. Um, getting back into the groove after some, you know, like chaotic times over here. But I made some chicken noodle soup tonight and or this afternoon and <laughs> feel like I'm kind of grounding in a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, so. Yeah, I Doing finally... I finally gathered my wits enough to say, need spinach. Mm-hmm. My body is still not happy with the brassicaceae greens, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it causes gas, and that gas does bad things to my ability to smile. <laughs> I remember when I was pregnant and breastfeeding the baby, <laughs> like the, you know, like, or especially when I was breastfeeding, I had to cut those out because it would make the baby so gassy. Exactly. So I feel like a yeah. baby. But finally, I got together and said, spinach. I like spinach. Spinach green. Get mm-hmm. some green juices in here. Just char, so, spinach, uh, lamb's quarter. Do those. <laughs> yep. Even yeah. the lamb's quarter is a little heavy on my gut at this point. But, you know, okay. day by day, day mm-hmm. by day, I will get back to full capacity. Looking mm-hmm. forward to it, I got to say. And, yeah. Uh, you know. But, you know, kind of a tedious part here where I'm not quite well and I'm not quite, you know, as bad as I was. <laughs> yeah, it just takes a while, I know. It does, yeah. it does, you know. I feel I feel in a similar place in this very transitional state as well, but I mean, I have my I have my health, but <laughs> it's still like, a, it's still unnerving. It's emotionally you know? transitional, it is. It yeah. is, and I think it is very much for a lot of people now. And, yeah. you know, it's like the one-two punch between the COVID and the social social unrest. And, you know, many people know that many years ago, in 1970, I was awakened in my own home, in my own bed, by a policeman who had a gun up against my head. Mm-hmm. So I've yeah. known me live in a police state for a long, long time. All right, it's no surprise to me, but it comes as a surprise to a great many people. What is really yeah. going on? And yeah. uh, of course, the police proceeded to tear my house apart, rip up my clothes, dump out my food, actually take access to the floors and the walls, and then make me sign a statement saying I wouldn't press charges. Hmm. So, oh. um, yeah. Whew. Yeah. And the, one of the things that I found out then was that I could be absolutely fine when I was outdoors. And it was one of the big things in my life that pushed me to spend more and more time outdoors, culminating in selling the house and buying a Land Rover and going on the road for two years mm-hmm. and living outside, living, basically living outside. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I've only been in the, the teepee for just over a week and just sleeping on the earth like that and, like, what it's done to my dream space and, like, I just, you know, it's it, – I, it's really opening me up to something that I haven't 
I hadn't experienced for a long time. I remember when I built trails and stuff like that, like, because I would be sleeping, you know, in the backcountry, similar experiences. But, yeah, it's very tuning me, tuning me back in, and it feels it can be a little unnerving sometimes because it's like, oh, man, there's, like, this pulsation of, like, life that's coming back into me. But it's like, but at the same time, I'm thankful for it, you know, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how are your boys reacting to it? So they um, they have only stayed one night up there so far. It's been raining quite a bit, so just, like, navigating the rain has been um, – interesting in the TV because they're not really meant for rain so much because they're, you know, from the plains. It doesn't rain a lot, exactly. Yeah, so I was hoping, you know, I had, like, these visions of, like, warm summertime sun, but it's just not where we're at right now this year, so. You um, live in Oregon, darling. You know what the the T-shirt says, that's not a tan, it's rust. Yeah, so I've been I've been coming back down to the house. I have my office down here that's um you know, in the back of the house and then I have, you know, we've been having some meals and stuff like that. So, it's a it's a huge adjustment period of I'm just in this middle ground, you know, of like and I'm putting my feelers out looking for like a more permanent place and so I can move my whole life, but um it's just going to take I feel like a little while for me to get to that place. It's hard to find places right now, and especially, you know, like having to move my, my business and, you know, garden and everything is like, oh, my God, so much. So, Ooh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it has to be. It's like I'm just at that point where it has to be done. Things weren't well, things for, weren't for two days, Justine and I have been saying, you know, it would really help a lot if we had another table. And lo and behold, mm-hmm. Justine's driving over here, and here's this gorgeous I don't know if it's walnut or oak, but it's a beautiful table and four in perfect condition lyreback chairs that go with it. Ooh. Just sitting beside the road. Oh, wow. So, thank you, Goddess. <laughs> man, I, that's what people have say, are saying right now, that we are so, like, energetically kind of in tune. Like, you know, be careful what you ask for right now because things are really coming into fruition really quickly right now. So I'm getting really clear on what I want. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> we have, and speaking of asking for what you want, we have a really amazing guest tonight. Our guest tonight is Emily Saldaya. And um, she was a doula. And <laughs> she realized that she was in total complicity with the obstetric system and the harms that it does to women and babies. And she just stepped back and became a radical birth keeper, and she's going to tell us what it is to be a radical birth keeper and why she founded the Free Birth Society. That's at 9 o'clock East Coast time. Stay with us or come back then so you can hear Emily talk about it. Really important. Yes, I'm excited to hear from Emily. And then we um, we had a email question, or there's a couple questions from a past apprentice. If you'd like to answer those first. Sure. Okay. So I'll go ahead and read it. Um, This is Stephanie, your 2011 August-September shamanic herbal apprentice. I am working on a sweet package to send you soon. Our family loves you so much, and your words and your wisdom have changed our life for the better. We are constantly sending you love and healing thoughts. 
My first question is about my 10-year-old dog, Sheba. Sheba is 10 years old and probably developed Lyme's disease after being exposed to many deer ticks when we lived in Maine about six to seven years ago. I didn't know about herbal protocols at the time, but we did try antibiotics a few years later, but they didn't work to get rid of the Lyme's. We could have tried a few more rounds, but I didn't feel like it was helping. During the last two years, she has really developed lameness in one of her back legs and just seems stiff in the other areas as well. And I really would like to be able to help her with what seems to be an arthritic-style pain and discomfort in the back leg. We have just recently started using Japanese knotweed tincture, and I have been doing my best to give it to her throughout the day, three to six times a day in a little raw cow's milk. However, I think I have been giving her too big a dose at those times, the dose being a full dropper full. She weighs about 56 pounds. By the way, I do believe she needs to lose weight too. I am thinking I should change her dosage to 10 drops and maybe then it would be more effective. I tried to give her one tablespoon of powdered knotweed three times a day, but she would not eat it mixed with anything, even raw meat. In addition, I have given her some of Rebecca's CBD-infused tallow, coconut oil, and CBD tincture when I had it on hand, and that at least felt like a good idea. I ran out quickly, so it's hard to say if it helped much. We also add comfrey and linden infusion to her rebrews at her meals, as well as nettle infusion on the days that we drink the corresponding infusions. And we feed her, for the most part, based on Juliette de Barclay Levy's suggested diets for dogs. Do you have any recommendations of herbal remedies and how to best administer them? She has thick fur, but we shear her each summer. We may be able to apply something topically, but it would still have to soak through a thin layer of woolly fur that will keep growing. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And then she has another question about her 20-month-old baby, too. All right. So. Okay. <laughs> Antibiotics do get rid of Lyme's. So if you take antibiotics and you still have symptoms and you don't have Lyme's, you have a co-infection. And the co-infections are treated by teasel and or Japanese non-weed. Now, given that the dose for a 150-pound person is three drops, she's poisoning her dog. Way too much, way too often. Why does Stephen Booner say for his, he says a quarter to a half teaspoon six times a day? Yep, I know. And he also uses capsulated herbs, doesn't he? Okay. And powdered herbs. And I don't. Okay, I got to I, I got to <laughs> I was using his recommended dosage on my on the jars, but okay. Yeah, that's good to know that it's a much smaller way, dose. Way, way, way too much. Okay. Mm-hmm. You remember that I had a very engorged tick that I found on the back of my elbow after a massage. The reason I found it was because the massage therapist said, anything else I can do? I said, well, my elbow aches like crazy. What did you do to my elbow? She said, I didn't even touch it. And I said, why not? She said, well, there's some bruise or something there. And then we looked closely and it was a big fat tick. 
and I could just feel the Lyme disease, you know, like lurking around in my body. And I really chased it. It tried to go there, and I'd use this herb to back it off. And it tried to go there, and I'd use this other herb to back it off. And that, you know, I was occupied like that for two and a half, three weeks and really felt like I had vanquished the limes. And a year later, I woke up um, at home to teach a class, got up out of bed, and fell on the floor. No strength mm-hmm. of any kind in my legs, just kaboom. Wow. And that's when I realized that I had a co-infection. Mm-hmm. And I actually alternated the teasel and the Japanese knotweed, usually taking about three drops of either one in the morning and three drops of the same one that evening and then switching the next day. Mm-hmm. And I found that pretty effective. I basically, you know, got over that weakness in my legs in about 24 hours and then I stopped taking them stopped taking the herbal remedies and about two three months later I went out to uh, teach at the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference same thing happened I got up in the morning to get ready to go do the keynote address and wham I'm on the floor fortunately Linda Conroy and I because she's a pastor apprentice have a very good psychic relationship so I only lay there about 10 minutes and then Linda was at the door going do you need help? And I'm like, mm-hmm, I need two of your strongest apprentices to come and pick me up. <laughs> I said, get somebody behind me, and I'll give the keynote for you. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, somebody there had some knotweed. So oh, I wow. started start taking that. And then I knew that, I, you know, I really needed to, con- even at a low dose, I needed to continue taking it. And I took it for about maybe five or six weeks at low doses and have not had any repeat episodes since. So that's the first thing I would say is antibiotics do get rid of limes, still have symptoms, there's a co-infection. Co-infections do seem to respond to either teasel or knotweed in small doses. And if you need to move up on it, you can move up on it. Um, it bothers me. Um, that I didn't get through to her, that making a diagnosis is um, counterproductive. It was distressing to hear her saying, well, I think it's this, I think it's that. Um, Because then that leads her to treat that thing rather than be present with what's actually happening. And... um, I personally don't really know if dogs have the same cannabinoid pathways that people do. And CBD products are fairly expensive. I would hesitate to give them to an animal. I'm not sure that it's really going to be effective. Um, I wouldn't use anything topically, but that's me. If she wants to do something topically, I'm not against it. It just sounds like a mess and impossible given the dog. So um, I would have answered the second question, except she went on and on and on and on with her explanation of the first one. And that's as much time as I want to give to this. So I'd like to go to the first caller. Okay. Sounds good. So I will remind the listeners to press 1 if you have a question for Susan. doesn't look like But there is one caller here with their hand raised. Oh, there we go. The first caller is coming from the 250 area code. 
Hello. Hi, uh, Susan. It's a great pleasure uh, to listen to the show. And um, my for, my question is, um, I've spoken, oh, my name's Anna Jameson, and I've spoken to you before, um, with you, and I have um, a young son. He has uh, was born with Down syndrome, and his ENT is recommending, he's had tinctures given, like, um, what do you call it, homeopathic tinctures given by a, a naturopath? For uh, oh, a while, dear. and it ha- it didn't do second, anything. There's no, such, there's no such thing as a homeopathic tincture. Oh, okay, that's what he called it. And um, I understand so, that's what he called it. But let's take the tincture as the midpoint. Okay. In allopathic medicine, and the vast majority of herbalists and massage therapists and so on are all allopaths. To make a remedy stronger, we concentrate it. Mm-hmm. So we've already made the plant stronger by making a tincture, but the tincture in homeopathy is called a mother tincture. If we use a homeopathic mother tincture, we are using an herbal remedy. It is not homeopathic. Okay. In homeopathy, to make it stronger, we dilute it. Okay. So we take okay. one part mother tincture and ten parts of either lactose, which is non-reactive in all human beings, or some kind of pure water, and then we percuss that together. And mm-hmm. um, I've often said, you know, it takes a man to make up a healing system in which you make the remedy by beating it up. Oh, but that's exactly yeah. what's done. And then you take one part of that and you dilute it in ten parts of whatever your uh, base is going to be. And then you mm-hmm. take one part of that and dilute it. And when you do that ten times, you have a 10x remedy. Okay. Well, it, it didn't help. And, it, and uh, in X, there's not a single atom of the plant left. Yeah. So he. And then the remedies he, go up to like one C, which is a hundred. They even go up to one M, which is a million. Ten M. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was either a tincture or it was a homeopathic remedy. Mm-hmm. So his. And um, and and for a particular problem. We're not curing mm-hmm. Down syndrome, are we? Oh no! For um, uh, enlarged, he's never had an, a no, noticeable infection in his tonsils, but they've always been enlarged. And now he has sleep apnea at times, and he breathes through his mouth during the day and at night, snores, of course. And um, uh, they're recommending a tonsillectomy. And he's how old uh, now? He's fifteen. And they're also recommending are you, are you against the tonsillectomy? It could be a very good choice. Uh, that's why I wanted your opinion, because I know you're, um, yeah, you're Sleep amazing with, with your knowledge. It can be very serious. Mm-hmm. It's not good to stop breathing over and over again. It's not good for your heart or your body in general. That's Certainly, what I've heard. Surgery carries risks, but tonsillectomy carries fewer risks. It's considered a minor surgery. It's elective. Mm-hmm. Okay. And especially if the tonsils are enlarged, then we are dealing with a problem in which there is an actual blockage of his airways. Yes. And there's no way to shrink oh, them with herbs, right? No, absolutely not. Okay. Okay. So we'll go ahead with that. 
And, Especially uh, because you say this has been like that for years. Yeah, a number of years. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. And it has gotten better off and on, but nothing hugely better. Yeah. Right. Um, can I ask one more question, or are you limited you for? Did. Oh, that's it. That's it. I'm saying, if you ask me, if you can ask me a question, you are asking me a question, aren't you? <laughs> I find it the rudest possible thing for people to say to me. Is can I ask you a question? And Rebecca oh. will tell you one year when anybody asked me that, I said no. Oh. Okay. And people were furious at me, so it's not even a real question. It's a trick, and I don't like being tricked. No, it's not being tricked. Ask me it's a being polite. Ask me a in question. My view. Don't ask me if you can ask me, okay? It's just rude. Okay. Oh, I think it's being polite because you have your it's time, really right? It's really being rude. Hmm. I guess I have to ponder that. Thank you for um, answering my question. Regarding Samuel. Good. All the best. All the best to Samuel. Blessings. Thank you. Goodbye. The next caller is coming from the three six zero area code. Blessed be Susan. Blessed be. I listen to your show almost every week, and I have to say I'm awed by your knowledge of herbs. I wish we were neighbors, too. I think we would make great neighbors because so many things you say, even life advice, I agree with you, so it'd just be fun. But anyway, here's my question. Actually, I said to a dear buddy of mine, I said, you know, it's a wonder that we've never become lovers. We argue about everything. (laughs) Oh, that's too funny. Okay. I've had a tickle in the back of my throat for a few years now. Um, Of course, because I've had it, it makes me cough a lot. I'm also dealing with a hernia that I need to get fixed. But, you know, with the (laughs) COVID-19 and canceling elective surgeries and everything, But, you know, I got an appointment next Wednesday for a visit. So as, and, you know, coughing. Let me interrupt interrupt you for a moment. Sure. There's only one place in the world to have your hernia repaired, and that is Shoal Dice Clinic in Toronto, Ontario. S-H-O-U-L-D, like should. And then ICE, Shoal Dice Clinic. About a third of their work is fixing repairs done by other hospitals. Okay. They have a special technique. They use a very thin wire. It's about a quarter the size of a human hair. Oh, wow. Sounds great. All they do is hernia repair. Now, I don't know for a fact that they're open, but it's a possibility. And even if they're not, get yourself on their list. Is this hernia causing you intense? Is it causing you intense pain? No, no, but it has gotten bigger. It's a surgical uh, uh, hernia, meaning I've had an abdominal surgery, and now I wound up with a hernia, which this will be the second time it's going to get fixed. It came through again. You definitely need to go to Schultz. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, get well, in touch with Schultz. 
if they're not doing it right now, get on their list and, okay. you know, be aware that, as Rebecca and I were talking about at the top of the show, you need to cut back on anything that causes gas. Mm-hmm. You probably yeah. already know yeah. that. Yeah, right. I don't have that much trouble with gas. Uh, but uh, anyway, the gas can oh. push the intestine out through the hole that's the hernia. And oh, cause right. rip more. I'm not suggesting you have a problem. I'm suggesting your hernia has a problem. Right. And I do wear a hernia belt, you know, so that helps, too. It keeps Sounds me good. tight. I had an uncorrected hernia on the right side. The next life, Susan, do something lighter than books, please. So I had uncorrected hernia on the right side for 15 years. Right. And right. then I did something, and I realized, oh, it's time. And I got in touch with Shuldice, and I went up, and the doctor examined me. And he said, you know, this is like a fairly small hernia. I said, you're wrong, it's not. <clears throat> and after the surgery, the doctor said, I've never seen anybody in such good shape. When I opened you up and saw the size of that hernia, I was, my mouth dropped open. I said, yeah, I could wow. feel it. I could feel it when it got to that size. And so now wow. my friend, Betsy, that I talk about a lot, my oldest friend, <clears throat> and I are looking for the, the date. We were going to go up to Shuldice, uh about uh, two years ago and get our left side hernias repaired. But uh, that that fell through for a variety of reasons. And so now mm-hmm. we're looking for what time in the future we're going to go up and uh, be buddies. And, uh, oh, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> and I'm sorry that this has occurred because of the surgery. And one thing you can do is to drink with comfrey infusion because comfrey makes all the tissues, especially tissues that have been surgically broached, stronger and more flexible. And, of course, comfrey is knit bone, right? So it knits things together. And you can take those spent leaves and poultice it, compress it, whatever you want to do, um, over the area um, where the hernia is, again, to strengthen the intestinal um, muscle, not the intestinal muscles, but the abdominal muscles there. Because wherever you get it repaired, it's those muscles that are going to have to hold that repair. Right, right, exactly. So the reason, the reason why I called you uh, was because of the tickle in my throat that makes me cough. That's not great when you have a hernia. Uh, I've had it for years. When I how went to the re- doctor. How does, respond, oh. how does it respond to a spoonful of honey? You know, here's the problem. I eat ketogenically. Do you know what that is? Yes, it's uh, a very messed up way of eating. Oh well, it actually has helped me a lot because my A1C was really high. The doctor told me next time any change to a diet, no matter how messed up, will change health for the better, at least for a short while. Yeah, well, it it's really not dropped sustain- my A1C. It's not sustainable, and of course, the person who promoted it died of it. Um. Okay, so... Not a sustainable diet. So you want to have a tickle in the back of your throat and not use honey, which is the world's best remedy for it. Your choice. Well, I'll I'll, I'll definitely uh, use it then. Uh, I did have this before the keto diet. Uh, This has been going on for a while. I didn't say the keto diet changed it. I didn't even bring up the keto diet. You did. Right. I suggested honey. 
I, I just want to make sure I think that's that's honey is the world's best right. reliever of tickles in the back of the throat. Okay. Now, of course, what I would do, because I have herbal honeys that I make. Right. Is I would take uh, a, I would take a teaspoon of sage honey. We make a lot of sage honey. We love sage honey, right? So I would just stick my spoon into the sage honey, right? Get a big, big heaping teaspoon on there. Put it in a cup. Pour boiling water over it. Stir it around, and as soon as it, as it cooled enough not to burn my tongue, I just start drinking it. And the sage, of course, is one of the world's best herbs for restoring health to the throat. And the honey is immediate when I was teaching in Australia when a horrible cough, sore throat, I could hardly speak, and I got a jar of honey with a squeeze top, and I kept it next to me, and I was squeezing honey into my mouth approximately every five to ten minutes. Right. So do you think that this is something that I'll have to do for a long time because it has lasted it a long time? If you have to do time? it for a long time, then there's something far more seriously wrong than a tickle. Oh, because she also said that, I think she called it my throat had pebbling. Have you ever heard of that? It was pebbling in my she throat. Knew. Oh, my doctor. Your MD because she put a scope down your throat and looked at it? No, just, you know, made me stick out my tongue, looked at the back of my throat. Mm-hmm. Human papillomavirus does not just cause cervical cancer. It causes anal cancer and it causes throat cancer. Mm. And one of the first symptoms is a tickle at the back of the throat. So it could be cancer. It's a possibility if the honey does not relieve it. If it's just a tickle, then the honey will relieve it. And sage tea will help relieve it. But if it continues on and it gets worse and worse, then it's certainly worth checking out what else is happening there. Okay. Well, that's a scary thought. (laughs) The scarier thought is to have cancer and ignore it. Well, I'm a crone like you, and, you know, we all have our time. And I don't know if I had throat cancer and I had to get, you know, disfigured. I'd just rather go to sleep. <laughs> it rarely operated on. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Human papillomavirus oh. is very sensitive to radiation. The treatment of choice is usually radiation. doesn't disfigure you in the least. Oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so area to much. Operate on. Thank you so much for your time and whatever health problem you've been dealing with uh, recently. I have not I had really any you... health problem of any kind. I have had cancer. Oh. Cancer is not a health oh. problem. Perfectly oh, healthy people have cancer. Cancer is not a sickness. Right. It is the overgrowth yeah. of the youngest, most vigorous, strongest cells in the body. Yes, I've heard that you had some kind of operation, but I didn't even know what it was, so that's why. I yes, was I was in surgery that. for 17 hours. Oh, boy. And they, well, were able, they were able to get clear margins, and there's no spread of any kind because of the plants and the mushrooms that I used. They took eight lymph nodes from the area, not a single cancer cell in any lymph nodes. 
Well, I'm so sure I kept it contained. It was because again a tight area, and human papillomavirus likes to wiggle itself into tight areas. They did need to cut out my coccyx, cut out part of my sacrum. So it's pretty mm-hmm. extensive surgery. Right. And this was because the radiation treatment didn't work for me. I see. And and though I wanted to put it off, um, I did realize um, that perhaps I might think it's time to go, but the grandmothers don't. They say they have more work for me. <laughs> right. Okay. It's not always yours to choose. That's right. Okay. Well, thank Alrighty. you for your time. Thanks. thanks for your call. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Bye. The next caller is coming from the 252 area code. Hi, Susan. Um, it's Jennifer. And I I want to ask about Stephen Booner for a second. Um, I was talking to you, I think, in the last couple of times I've spoken to you about reading one of his books and seeing that Utonia was something that was highly antiviral. And you suggested I look into it a little bit more. So I started to look at what he was doing currently. In the middle of May, he produced a document. It's about 80 pages. It's, um, he called it Plant-Based Interventions for Coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2. And he, in parentheses, says, and the necessity for sophisticated organ-specific treatments. And it was very unsettling to read. It's very current, and it seems to be his analysis at looking at the emerging science. And one of the things that he's saying is that this is really insidious and that the reason we're seeing people die of sudden heart attacks or people who are having clotting issues and people who are having respiratory issues, and he's suggesting that there's neurological issues now and people are actually having brain dysfunction. And he's you know, comparing it to what you were momentarily talking about with the limes where it's moving and it's, uh, it's, it's making its way through all the major systems of the body. And it was scary. So, I guess what I really am wondering, and, and I, I, I think based on what I've heard you say in the past, you really trust his assessment of scientific data, don't you? A- am I correct in that this is a, a cogent guy's interpretation? Stephen Booner reads PubMed. Now, whether or not we want, anybody wants to trust that, is a different thing. I know that Stephen is very thorough. But I also know that when information is new, it is far more likely to be misinterpreted. I read the New England Journal of Medicine every morning. It's in my inbox. It takes me two minutes read the highlights of what's going on. And yesterday the highlight was that the people who had put out this study of this particular thing around this virus were retracting it because they realized that the data they were using was incorrect. And this is far more likely to happen in the heat of the moment we know this about new drugs. You're far more likely to die from a drug that's only been on the market for a year or two than you are from a drug that's been on the market for 20 years. Okay. So anytime we're dealing with emerging research, we're on shaky ground. 
And I think I, part I of hear, his emphasis. I hear panic in your voice. Well, this and created I want, anxiety. I want to say that from my reading, what I am reading is that is something very different which, from what you seem to be putting out. And perhaps I'm mishearing you, but you seem to be putting out that there's this horrible virus that is going to leap into your body, attack every organ system, and kill you. No, it sounded, you know, what he seemed hopeful that we have all kinds of options in the, in the, in the botanical world to handle. foundational medicine, make yourself strong. Yes, yes. People who are having this happen are people with underlying conditions. Well, I guess that's why I'm sort of panicking, because it seems like in this country, that's a lot of people. And that was my concern, not for myself personally so much. Why does that panic um, you? Are you? Are you one of those people? No, uh, but a lot of people in my life your, are. If you think about how many people are dear to us. Now is the time to start eating a broad diet filled with the healthiest possible foods, the most nutrient-dense food. Now is the time, if you've been negligent on it, to drink your quart of nourishing herbal infusion. Now is the time to do your yoga practice, do your tai chi practice, do your meditation practice. Now is the time to take care of yourself. Yes. Those foundational medicines that allowed me to get through what I've just been going through. At 74 years old, to go through 17 hours of surgery and 13 hours of coma, and to come out feeling strong and vigorous is because my foundational medicines were in place. Okay, yeah. But Susan, what's scaring me, what's making me uncomfortable is how many people in my life aren't doing that. And, and, and it's not, you know, I can set an example, I can tell and make suggestions, but these are really personal lifestyle issues for people. And so many people in and around us are not that way. You know, I... I That's it, your responsibility? No, it's just... Um, I don't understand why it's scary. The potential that we're going to lose a lot of them is, is daunting right now. Or I that they're you. going to become, you know, what he's saying is that there's like, a, like there's a post-COVID syndrome. So people who are getting it are having long-term, um, you know, like with Lyme's where you get these resurgences or it's, it's moving itself through you or you're having not long-term fatigue. Or, Lyme's. It's I not long enough. Yeah. I do not think there are resurgences of Lyme's. That's not what I see. And I will tell you that the people that I know who've had COVID, who have their foundation in place, have told me that they feel their health is improved by having it. Okay. Yes, I have a mixed bag around me. I have, you know, a 58-year-old that's taken off life support, and I have a 62-year-old that bounced back after six days, and um, a daughter that broke a rib coughing, and it just seems like this is so hard on so many people, and, and um, you know, how, in, how knowing best to minister to them, either through plants or spiritually, is very Nourishing herbal right infusions. Nourishing herbal infusions. Nourishing herbal infusions. Are you drinking them? Yes, I have nettle and oat straw, and I have um, chickweed that dried from the spring, and um, I am about to start drying the um, violet. So, yes. How much? And I'm back to growing you, again. How much chickweed could you have possibly dried? 
oh, you'd be surprised. I have a whole room hanging with it. <laughs> I let the, I have chickens and I let it go and I've specifically rotated and seeded and I've been doing it for a couple, three years now. So it took me a while to figure out how to get you know, 50 ounces if I want a year through. Um, but I've got it drying. And I, I heard somebody talking about coming to your house and seeing the herbs drying all around the ceiling in my house. That's right. The same you go. Field. Okay. Fantastic. And you weigh it out, use a full ounce. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Have a couple Perfect. of scales. If you're nourishing herbal yeah. infusions, go to visit somebody, take the nourishing herbal infusion, give them a little iced, you know, yeah. make it attractive yeah. to them. Right? This is the simplest thing that we can do for people. And it helps if you can grab something out of your backyard and try it, and there's a lot of that available, so that's good. Cannot make a nourishing right. herbal well, infusion from something you grab from your backyard. Must be a dried herb. Well, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, if you like it, you can wait for it to show up next spring. And yes, that's it. Just let it seed itself and it'll be there for you next year. And there's a lot of that that can happen with what you're talking about there. Yes, I mean, the country's like crazy in my yard now. Very, very huge amount to ask of someone who's sick. All we're going to ask of them is that they drink it. Yeah. And, they well, want and for that, that you yeah, know bringing you it know. to them. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That's a good idea. Thank you. And I'm, I, you know, we have you resources for that, so that's great. Going from door to door and delivering. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm just going to go call Frontier and <laughs> bring in truckloads. What is it, UPS? Um, all right. Thanks for taking the time. I hope you're feeling better, and I hope you're healing. And I found um, I really like Comfrey, and um, I've got a violet honey. It is really nice on wounds, and I'm healing that oh, cat that has the mauling. From the flowers to the leaves. Well, you tell me because it's the purple, and I think it's not really a flower, right? It's a flower. It's just not a reproductive flower. Okay. Yes, then that's what it's Certainly not a leaf. Not a green leaf. It was a purple flower. Purple flower. So take a little water and wet your face minimally, and then put your fingers in your violet flower honey and dab that honey onto your wet face and then rub it in and let it dry. It's not going to be sticky. And it's wonderful for your skin. Great. I will try it. I'm out in the sun a lot more right now, too. All right. Thank you. Thanks so Have much for your green blessings. You too. Bye. The next caller is coming from so Before you put zero. the next caller on, let me just say, one of the reasons that I didn't talk to people about what's going on with me is I don't want people to want me to get better. I'm really totally against that because wanting me to get better envisions me in a poor state, and I do not want that. If people want to say something nice to me, they can say, I'm so glad to hear that you're getting stronger every day. I've never once said better. I'm getting stronger, and that's a thing I can very much hear. I'm so glad to hear you're getting stronger every day. Mm -hmm. Is that then sees me as stronger, and that's what I want. And that's what my body and my psyche need to see and to hear. And it's very easy for any of us to get into a situation where we really identify with a disease or identify with being an invalid. I don't know if you remember, Rebecca, the apprentice who was the poster girl for her disease. She was diagnosed with it very young. She was very cute. And she was literally the poster girl. I mean, she was on posters. She was on billboards. She was on bookmarks. 
And she came here, and within a couple of weeks, it was obvious that she could change what was going on with that. And she came to me, and she said, Susan, I have to leave this apprenticeship because I could very well change, she said. And I can't betray everybody by doing that. Yeah, I could really hear her. Yeah, I think of that, actually, when I meet people that really identify with their disease and, um, like, yeah, I do, yeah. I always remember that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was yeah. A, a real, you know, really struck me and her clarity about it as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Story medicine, right? Story medicine, yeah. 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 Okay, um, the next know? is from the 801 area code. Hello? Are you there in the 801? Hi. Hello, 801. Hi. Hi, Susan. Um, My husband and I listen to your show often, and I've had this, um, every time I have my period, I have this really intense back pain for the first few days, and I do a lot of um, red clover infusion around that time of the month, Um, and that has seemed to help more with, like, my bleeding being more regular and not quite so heavy and crazy. But I'm wondering if there's any suggestions you have for the facts. Um, let's do a little background information first. Okay. Starting from day one of the period, the first day that you bleed, um, your hormones are pretty even and not a lot is going on hormonally. The bleeding is the shedding of the endometrial layer of the uterus, which under the influence of hormones has grown and become very rich. So there's those four or five days of bleeding, and as those come to an end, hormonal activity begins to pick up. Of the 30 estrogens that are made by the human body, many of them start to increase. Progesterone starts to say, hey, am I going to be needed? And by the time we get to day 13 of the cycle, estradiol, the most dangerous of all the estrogens that women make, is being made and it is being sent up to the pineal and pituitary glands, which then signal for follicle-stimulating hormone to be made. The ovaries do not contain eggs. They contain follicles. Under the influence of follicle-stimulating hormone, up to a dozen follicles in one ovary, and they switch off month by month, um, up to a dozen of those follicles in one ovary can begin to mature. One of them gets what I call the Miss Egg crown. She wins the Miss Egg contest, and she gets to punch a hole in the ovary and leave and make her way to the fallopian tube. Human eggs are the opposite of chicken eggs, are yellow is on the outside, are white is on the inside. So as she punches her way through the ovary, she sheds her yellow. That's the body, the yellow body, and Latin for yellow is lutein, and that then causes luteinizing hormone to be made. 
This happens in fairly quick succession. So you have estradiol being produced within 24 to 36 hours. Follicle-stimulating hormone is produced within 24 to 36 hours. Luteinizing hormone is being produced. And at this point, once there's luteinizing hormone, progesterone begins to go up and up and up because pro for gesterone gestation. So progesterone says, all right, I was wondering if you might need me. Here we go. Under the influence of progesterone, we're at about day 15 or 16 now, um, the lining of the endometrium begins to grow. Okay. Estradiol is no longer being made. Follicle-stimulating hormone is no longer being made. Luteinizing hormone is made for a little bit longer, but mostly it's the influence of progesterone and, again, some of the 30 estrogens that human women make, making the uterus a safe place for that egg should it get fertilized. Once it has burst its way out of the ovary, and there's no natural exit from the ovary, it must break a hole in it, um, which is one of the reasons that constantly um, ovulating is so very bad for women and not what we were designed to do. We're actually designed to ovulate no more than two or three dozen times in our whole lifetime, and we're supposed to be pregnant and lactating the rest of that time. Um, not that I would choose to do that, but we have to understand what is really normal, and menstruating every month is not normal or natural, and it does take a toll on the body. Um, so the endometrium grows, it thickens, it becomes very blood-rich. Should that egg get fertilized, it nestles in, progesterone continues to rise. Again, the pattern of estrogens changes slightly. Should that egg not be fertilized or not nestle into the endometrium, then we're back to day one of the menstrual period in which that lining is shed. So I'm a little unclear as to what you actually think red clover is doing if you're taking it when nothing much is happening. I'll tell you what I think is happening. Red clover can thin the blood a little bit. And it might be making your bleeding uh, flow a little bit more. And that could, can, for some women, ease off the pain. But the red clover is certainly not having any hormonal influence at the time that you're drinking it. And I don't see any reason to focus in on it or to drink it day after day. What I suggest that people do is rotate through the five infusions. Okay. If women okay. are eager to get pregnant, then certainly drinking a little more red clover, like every third day, so twice a week, from the midpoint of the cycle. Okay. I'm, or I'm 10 not days in can be pregnant. useful. Right. Okay. But drinking it right around the time when you're bleeding. I don't think it will have any particular effect at all. That pain in your lower back can be related to um, lack of tone in your uterus. And red clover doesn't especially bring up tone. Um, red raspberry is considered to be the herb that tones the uterus. Okay. And so you might want to consider red raspberry tea or even red raspberry infusion. I find it a little astringent, but some people really like it. The other okay. thing, of course, that tones the uterus is pelvic floor exercises. Okay. Sometimes known after the name of the doctor who created them, Kegel exercises. And what Dr. Kegel says is you wake up in the morning before you move out of bed, you do 50 pelvic floor lifts. 
more experts that I talked to said, that's good, but there are slow-twitch muscles and fast-twitch muscles, so better to do 20 pull-up, 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 and then do 20 pull-up, 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 right, so that you get both the slow and the fast muscles going. Then you swing your legs out of bed, and you do another 20 seated. And then you go, and you urinate, because most people want to urinate when they wake up in the morning. And if you really want to tone your pelvic floor, you stop that flow of urine as many times as you can. Again, by contracting the pelvic floor muscle. Anytime you think of it throughout the day, you do some pelvic floor clenches. And this brings uh, blood flow, um, good activity to the lymphatic tissues, um, increases the strength and power of the fascia and in general creates a better structure for the uterus. The uterus is also held up by some pretty interesting um, ligaments and tendons, which if you're ever pregnant, you really feel, because this uterus gets bigger and bigger, and it's usually about the size of your fist, and of course it grows eight to ten times during pregnancy. Would you know what muscle builders would give to have any muscle in their body grow that fast in, in 40 weeks? Uh, and so mm-hmm. the muscles and tendons that hold that up really can ache. And uh, they're, all, they're created almost like a sling. So your comfrey infusion is going to help you have much more tone than, for instance, the red clover. Okay. Okay. I will tell Many I will women tell. find that the application of heat, as in a hot bath or a heating pad um, on the lower back area, can ease things off. But I will tell you what. I think is the wisest advice ever, and that is if during your menstruation you experience any pain that makes you want to be alone, follow that impulse. Okay. Okay. Don't well, see it thank as you. you have to get rid of. See it as a special message from the grandmothers who are saying, what are you doing? Go to your room. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Okay. All righty. Thanks for your question. Yep, thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Mm-hmm. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 808 area code. Oh, hi. Hi, Susan. Hi, Rebecca. This is Sean. Hi, Sean. Hey, it's great hearing you. Sean. Yeah, I have a, I have a good question. I think it's a good question. Um. I'm really curious about uh, what you know about the HPV vaccine, um, why it was not uh, recommended that um, boys or young men um, used it on the first few years. And I believe in the last few years, it is being recommended that boys are vaccinated for HPV. So I'm reading your book, um, you know, Down Under and trying to, uh, you know, gather information. Oh, d- down, down there. <laughs> Thank you. Down um, under Australia. It's okay. Okay, d- down there. <laughs> so, um, I've been just doing my own research, and from what I understand, there's two kinds of HPV vaccines. Uh, Gardasil is different from the one that is administered in Europe, and um, you mentioned in down there. Um, that it was very expensive. So I was told, you know, I believe that was basically the reason it was not given to males the first few years it came out. But um, generally, I'm researching this HPV vaccine because um, I have recurrent uh, anal genital warts, 
and I'll clear them up. I'll burn them off with either herbs or drugs, and then they recur. And I had one doctor, I believe his name is Dr. Aranis in Los Angeles, and he recommends um, a series of three vaccines. Um, Take it like once a month for three months. And I guess anecdotally, he, he, he believes this, this prevents reoccurrence. And it doesn't seem to make sense to me. Because once you're infected, you're infected, you know, and you've told me that, that it just doesn't make sense. But he's a specialist. He sees thousands of people. And, um, you know, I don't know if he, he, he's in any kind of research pipeline to um, prove or disprove this. So um, I wanted to hear what you well, have to say. Well, it's certainly reasonable for you because you have tried a lot of other things. Yeah, I'm, and now I'm just at the point of, okay, which vaccine do I want? Should I try the Europe one or the one from the United States? <laughs> How would you get the one from Europe? I guess I would wait till I go to Europe. <laughs> I'm Sean, in no that hurry. be a long way. I don't feel I'm in danger. Well, you know, because I've been asking. Um, and, you know, the airline industry is based on constant use. And the mechanics don't have jobs. And the airplanes aren't being taken care of. And it's anybody's guess if there be any infrastructure when we're done with this. Yeah, thankfully, there are many of the countries in Europe are socialist, and um, they actually subsidize their air- airline industry there. So um, I've always gotten cheap flights to Europe, but uh, who knows, that may not continue. Yeah, hard to say, hard to say. So... Um, I'm not sure it makes a huge amount of difference. And if it's something that's bothering you, then probably what's at hand is easier. And if it's something that's not bothering you, then waiting is interesting. Yeah, it it sounds like I'm going to stay in the waiting zone, but I'm just waiting for new information, you know, and just, you know, opening up. um, You're very generous. What's very interesting to me is this doctor recommends it um, for people of some age. Because it started out, you know, that there was a pretty narrow age range at which it was recommended for. And that, as you say, you know, not only have um, boys now been included um, in the recommendations, but the age range has expanded. But I haven't, this is the first time I've heard of anyone, you know, I don't even know what the age range has been pushed up to, but I think 20 or 20s. And so anyone older than that uh, being given the vaccine. I think what they think is that sometime in your 20s, the vast majority of people are infected with human papillomavirus and that the um, vaccine is to prevent infection. Right. That's um, what what I've always thought about it. But, um, I, you know, at, at this point, um, it, it, I'm, I'm still you know, in the waiting It might set up an immune asking, response you, that would actively you, attack human papillomavirus in your body. Um, I don't really know. And you might want to ask this doctor to um, tell you more of these only anecdotal reports. 
Well, what's interesting is um, you recommend podophyllin, um, or not recommend, but you discuss podophyllin in, in down there, and then you also discuss uh, the pharmaceutical version, which is add, um, well, whatever. Um, it, it's all podophyllin, though, you know, the drugs, you know. You know, a concentrated form of, you know, the Mayapple chemical is also in the, the main uh, HPV topical chemotherapy drugs. Exactly. And it, does like it, and it does seem like it is a chemotherapy where it goes into your bloodstream and it makes you feel sick. Yeah. And, um, so, and then it, it causes... A, you and know, it doesn't grow in Hawaii. No, it grows at the Long's Pharmacy. <laughs> but, um, well, I thought I thought it had to be used fresh. I've met um a local doctor who makes it himself. He just gets some, um, you know, podophyllin um sap and he mixes it with benzoin and, you know, so it's it's not it's not um Okay, so it's not it's not the root, but it's already an extract from the root. Yes. All right, because that's why I was always heard that it had to be fresh because you had to have that sap. And that sap evaporates when it dries. So right. they've actually so when, sap. So when I you discussed profiling, you said it was a concentrated form. The drug is a very concentrated form, yes. But, um, yeah, I'm but like, ju- but jumping like, around. Like I, lac- I hate, I hate, but like I hate like to be... Like, like the compounds that are going to be herbal chemotherapy um, are compounds that are found in the fresh plant. Don't stay around when you dry it. But well, extracting I, the sap, I, I, a, I think, is I certainly a way. So. I would call my case pretty mild, but it's it's annoying and it's um ongoing. You know, it's been years, so I'm just you know it has gathering. Yeah, yeah, and, and um, this is also a good time to ask for a dream. Yeah. I I've been getting everything I want, Susan. So yeah, you 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 all were um talking about that earlier. You, <laughs> you get everything you want. So open yourself up. So yeah, I just wanted to check in and um find out if you had any more information than what what you um shared in down there. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. I always love talking to you, and I love you. And I sent you out a care package. I heard, I heard the story, and I was like, oh, I was supposed to send you a care package in February. So um, it's on tracking, <laughs> and um, you'll be getting it in a few days. I, I love you. Uh, I love you too, Sean. Bye-bye. Green blessings. Thanks for calling. Care for me, Sean. I have been getting fun care packages. Somebody sent me, you won't believe it, a box of little Lulu comic books. Oh, Wow. <laughs> And they're old, right? Those are really... They're all old, right? Like, it's just so much fun. And then somebody else sent me a box loaded with everything, you know, a sparkly headband and scrunchies and crayons. And um, unfortunately, when I opened the box, she had also thrown some very strongly essential oil-scented soap in there, and it kind of knocked me back, and I had to get somebody else to come and take the soap out of the box and get it out of the house before I could even look at the other things. So, gang, do not send me any product with essential oils. Please. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I always notice that when I somebody just – I don't know how they got my address unless it was um, – 
from my business, like I had sent them something, but then they sent me a, a starter kit from one of those uh, multi-level marketing essential oil places. And I was like, <laughs> anyway, it's just funny because it's so different than anything that I would make or put out there. I, everything is essential oil free. So, uh-huh. yeah, people don't, yeah. don't get it and that's okay. And I cherish mm-hmm. the love with which she got together this it was a bunch of things and I was supposed to unwrap one a day but of course I'm not going to do that I unwrapped them all at once yeah got to see what you got to see everything there was a beautiful um I guess it's a sand dollar that was painted with a seaside picture Mm. a really big one like about eight inches across really Mm -hmm. nice propped up in my windowsill, along with three amethyst crystals that three apprentice sisters um, have been using together to keep themselves connected and um, came together and looked at each other and went, oh, these three crystals, these three amethysts now go to Susan. And so those are sitting in my windowsill. Just a variety Mm. of lovely things. Thank you each and every one for the beautiful things, for the love and for all the care and for the buoyancy, I really feel the joy. Mm-hmm. So what do you, my, my struggle was like, what do I do with these essential oils now? Do I just throw them away or do I try to give them to somebody? You, you know, my take on it always is you wrap them up and give them to someone you don't like much. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We can try that. I know that lots of people like them, so... Right, it's it's kind of like that Texas thing, right? Because mm-hmm. in Texas you have to be in Texas you have to be a lady. So if you really want to say to somebody you are a lost cause, you look at them, give them a very polite smile, and say, "I'll pray for you." Ooh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> maybe that's why I don't like it when people say that to me. <laughs> All right, we'll go to the next caller in the 570 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Um, It's Samantha. I um, need to go. So I am breastfeeding my five-month-old, and one of my breasts... Um, it's interesting because just the one side has a painful latch and my nipple is definitely more oblong on that side than it is the other and I'm not sure if just even that aggravation it's it's consistently painful is causing my breast to stay enlarged, lopsided and um, I even, I had to use I used yarrow and comfrey to to get down some bad little bumps in there. It felt like I was getting blocked up. Um, I used a compress. I used some yarrow tincture. Um, but if, so I just um, I'm wondering what other kind of nourishment I can give this breast so that it'll just drain completely and be nice and small sometimes. I traveled. Are you there? I traveled with a lovely woman who really wanted to wean her baby. Her baby's older than years, but 14, 15 months. And her parents were there. And so she said, I'm going to travel with you for this week, 
and leave my baby with my parents. And thus, you know, we will break off our nursing relationship. However, of course, the first morning she awoke and she said to me, you have to nurse on my breast. You must get the milk out of my breast now, now, now. And I was so embarrassed because I couldn't figure out how to do it. I was a bottle-fed baby. And my mouth does not know how to do it. It's a special thing you have to do with your tongue Mm -hmm. to actually suck from a breast. And my mouth couldn't figure out how to do it. And I just, you know, kind of cried, you know, when I realized I couldn't do it. And I said, I fail. You know, I, I, and what we did was we filled a sink with hot water and put her breasts in it. And all the milk just shh, opened up and came into the sink. And then we went out and got fresh parsley. And we did a fresh parsley compress on her breast, which mm-hmm. was so cooling and relieving for her. And whenever she needed to, she would just pop her breasts into a sink full of hot water and put on more parsley. So you might want to see if that can be of any help to you. Um, and Sink in the breast, and what was the second part? Fresh parsley. Fresh parsley, sorry, yeah, okay. Parsley, petroselenium sativum. Mm. And uh, usually available in flat and curly forms. The flat is considered to be more medicinal, but if you have only the curly, it's okay. Um easy to grow in your garden too, very pretty plant to grow in your garden. So if you're thinking about what to grow in your garden, don't overlook parsley this year. And a sink of hot water, you know, does a lot. And then any kind of soothing herbal oil that you have. Uh, There was a German midwife here apprenticing, and she was getting a huge amount of flack because she was telling women who had... um, a painful latch or pain in their breasts, to use the oil of Hypericum perforatum, to use St. Joan's oil, um, mm-hmm. which is very helpful. And yet in Germany, it's considered um, unsafe for babies. I certainly don't mm-hmm. consider it unsafe for babies, nor would I think that you're going to be putting that much on your breast that the baby is going to get that much of it. And if you are concerned about it, you could put it on your breast after the baby has fed. Mm-hmm. And then you have the maximum amount of time before the next feeding. But certainly give that a try and see if that helps relieve any of the pain for you. It does for many women. And if not, if you have a variety of different herbal oils like calendula oil or maybe some pine or fir oil or some rose oil. Um, and the roses are blooming now, so it's a good time to make rose oil, rose petal oil um, for the future. See what you have available to you. Um, yarrow, of course, is considered numbing, so yarrow oil could be used. And if there's an, any kind of infection, it would go through the skin and help counter those infections. I have a long list of uh, the benefits of uh, different herbal oils in the breast book, in my breast book, breast cancer, question mark, breast health, exclamation point. Very good. Thank you. I do have one other thing I wanted to ask you about. I have a fungal rash still on my back. It's those, spreading little bit by little bit. Those funguses are so difficult. They, yeah. they just latch hold. So what hasn't worked? Um, using witch hazel and sometimes... I think that's pretty much it. 
The herbs that are considered to be antifungal include horsetail, which can be brewed up as a strong tea or an infusion, and then you can, you know, soak a cloth in it and compress that cloth against the area. Um, golden seal is considered antifungal, and you can get golden seal powder and sprinkle it on the area. If you need to, put in like a light film of olive oil first and then sprinkle it on and kind of tap it in so that it really goes into the skin. And it will. It'll turn your skin yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some possibilities for actually countering the fungus, which hazel um, might soothe your skin, but it's not really going to counter the fungus. Okay. I have a whole yard full of horsetail, so great. I think it's horsetail, or they're tiny pine trees. They look like tiny pine trees. That's probably horsetail. (laughs) Okay. Okay, green blessings. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 614 area code, and then there's just one more caller with a question after this before the guest arrives. Okay. Hi, hi, Susan. Uh, This is Anu. Uh, I just have been recently diagnosed with uh, rhythmia, uh, and I have had a tree of uh, heart surgery when I was 13 years old. Right now I'm 46. Uh, I had ASD and PS, and all these years I, I didn't have any issues, but a uh, year and a half before I started getting uh, palpitations and stuff, and whenever it comes, I, I at that time I was in India, so I, I just sit quiet for some time, and once it goes off, I go with my uh, uh, day. But uh, once I came here, like in November, it's, I mean, I live in Ohio, so it's like cold. I didn't go out. And um, and more than that, like being away from the family, I mean, I, I live with my husband and my son, but uh, being away from mom and care, I mean, I got kind of fearful and scared. Uh, and um, uh, eventually, like in this past uh, six months, like uh, it was like a little uh, more. Uh, and then I read your, got your books and read and then started uh, using like Hawthorne and Motherwort. Um, it, it, I mean, whenever palpitations came, I used motherwort and hawthorn. I used to take half teaspoon in the morning and evening, as it said in the syrup dosage. Uh, and then, by, but a, a couple of weeks back, like I, uh, what happened is, even to walk, I'm like feeling tired. Like few uh, five minutes, if I walk, also I was getting palpitations. So I went to the doctor for a regular checkup. If anything is uh, this much bad, I have to go for a checkup, kind of. So then they said like um, it might be. Uh, my surgeries um, side effect kind of after so many years like you're prone to get this kind of so I just wanted to know if uh, through herbal uh, uh, help I can cure my rhythmia uh, or I should go for like they say like cardioversion or ablation so I want to try herbal remedies before going for that so uh, please help me or suggest me what I mean I'm drinking herbal infusions also for the past six months uh, we're nourishing herbal infusion, lettuce, oat straw, and uh, once in a while, comfrey. And recently, I started with mullein uh, for my lungs. Um, so, uh, anything else I need to add, or is it uh, uh, it can be taken care with herbs, or should I go for a procedure? Like, I, I want your suggestion. So, the five nourishing herbal infusions that I rotate through are stinging nettle, oat straw, okay. red clover, comfrey leaf, uh-huh. and linden flower. And okay. each one of them offers um, something that works together very, very well to rotate through those five of them. Um, mm-hmm. you, you can add mullen 
to it, but I mm-hmm. wouldn't use it to replace anything. Linden is exceptionally useful for the heart. Okay. I can okay. understand about 90% of what you're saying. And okay. where I can't quite understand you, where the accent is really getting in my way of understanding, is when you're saying disease names. So I really don't know what we're talking about. I know it has something to do with your heart, but I don't know what. Uh, about uh, which one you didn't understand? Sorry. You said you were diagnosed with something. What is that? Arrhythmia. Arrhythmia, like irregular heartbeat. My heart is racing. Arrhythmia. <laughs> yeah. And tachycardia. So like A flutter, A flutter. So they, I have to go for a cardiac. So when you have this rapid heartbeat, do you take motherwort tincture yeah. and does it slow it down? Uh, yes. Like when when I had palpitation, I did. And after this diagnose, what I did is like I started taking motherwort like for five to ten drops uh, every uh, four hours along with one tablespoon of hawthorn. Like I increased my dosage also hawthorn to one tablespoon. So that I would in, I would increase the motherwort much more than that. Like how much? When you're having palpitations, I would take a full drop of full in some water. Yeah, yeah. when I had palpitations. But uh, now, like in the past one week, I was, I'm not having palpitations. But I'm, it's like more like fearful. Like, uh, and I'm not sleeping in the night. And that is adding up to my tiredness. Uh, you're not so sleeping because? Of the fear or I don't know, like because of the rhythmia. Of fear or some word I couldn't understand. Fear or the regular heartbeat. Like or the arrhythmia. So when you're laying asleep at night in your bed, your heart goes thump, thumpa, thump, 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 to go mm-hmm. pee or like that, mm-hmm. uh, I, I started getting uh, tired and uh, fear comes up and then I started getting uh, palpitations. It, it's like that. It was like that. Yes, exactly. Like, and that's when I'm suggesting you take a dropper full of mother work. Right then. Right there? Okay, okay. Right then. If you know that's going to happen, when you get up to go pee, that bottle of mother mm-hmm. should be in the bathroom with a glass, run a little water in the glass, put a dropper full of mother work in the glass and drink it down. Okay. Right then. Do not wait. Okay. You know, leave bottles of motherwort in every room of the house if you need to, so that it's right okay. there when you need it. Not a few minutes mm-hmm. later, but right at the time when you're feeling that. Okay. Okay. And, um... I mean, can I... Right, so the, so the, do- the doctors are suggesting that you should do what? Uh, they said like they have they can they gave me two options like I can shock my heart back to rhythm, and they said that is like a temporary one within a year it might come back. The next one is they do ablation like they go burn the uh, heart tissue so, uh, in the uh, auricles so that the circuit will break the electrical circuit which is causing the uh, rhythmia will break. So that's what they said. Mm-hmm. So that is a permanent solution. Okay, okay. so but, do you understand? that you could envision these things being done. That, that that could be a preliminary step. So when you're laying in bed awake at night, rather mm-hmm. than say, I'm going to be really tired tomorrow, you say, ah, what a wonderful opportunity to envision that I am shocking my heart back into a normal rhythm. Mm-hmm. 
Or what a wonderful opportunity to envision that I am ablighting my heart. Learn all you can about the procedures. Be as clear as you can in imagining it. Mm-hmm. And spend that useful time when you're not sleeping to do mm-hmm. something rather than to harass yourself about not sleeping. I, to me, this is like rule one about sleep. If you're not sleeping, then you're going to make use of the time. You're not going to lay there and toss and turn and tell yourself how horrible you're going to feel tomorrow. Yeah, I, I used to do that, but right now uh, uh, I you know, again read the book and how positive I have to be and stuff. So what I do is I, I do little breathing exercise and meditation. So whenever like in the early morning Wonderful. I, I start getting up and said, okay, let me start my meditation. Let me start my breathing. So I start doing that, and then that's how I'm, like, starting. But I just want one question. Can this be cure, taken care with the herbs? I don't need to go for procedure, right? I mean, I just wanted to I don't know. know. I, you're yeah. the one who knows. I don't know. I don't know to what degree it is. I don't know how much of it is, as you say, fear and anxiety. Yeah. I don't know uh-huh. how much of it is, you know, an actual... Um, physical thing that's going on, but I do know that our bodies are amazing and that Mm -hmm. we can do far more than is imagined. Can you imagine that this can be done without surgery? If so, there's a strong possibility it can. If you can't, there's a strong possibility it can't. Okay. Uh, Do you know, like, you have have had millions, thousands of people you have met. Anyone who has Overcome arrhythmia with herbs. You not can't compare yourself to anyone else. You truly can't. Sorry? It, you can't compare yourself to anyone else. Yeah, I can't. But I'm just for. I know the people who are the healthiest <laughs> are the people who do their foundational medicines, and then mm-hmm. use the other three medicines, alternative medicine, pharmaceutical medicine, and deep medicine, as mm-hmm. needed. You don't go okay. out the rain without a raincoat or an umbrella and complain about getting wet. Okay. When it's time for those medicines, we use those medicines and we know we can get through it because we have our foundations set. Yeah. So hot on, I'm, I'm taking, should I take one tablespoon every four hours? Is that also okay? Will that help the heart more? You're asking me if more is better? No. Yeah. No, more isn't better. Okay, so it's like I, I do only a half teaspoon in the morning, like at a regular dose with the Hawthorne? My regular dose of Hawthorne is a dropper full. I don't know how that relates to half a teaspoon. Oh, it's, uh, no, no, it's syrup. Like I'm, I'm taking the syrup, so I'm asking about the syrup. Oh, I have never used Hawthorne syrup. What's the I use Hawthorne syrup? berry tea. And I, you know, I know people who have heart problems to use two or even three dropperfuls at a time and do that twice a day, morning and night. Uh-huh. Um, I usually, because I want to use Hawthorne as a mild tonic for my heart, seeing as how Hawthorne is good for the aging heart and it's 74, so certainly I have to admit I'm aging. Um, uh-huh. So I use a dropperful of Hawthorne on a daily basis. A tincture made from the dry berries of Hawthorne. I fill the jar about one-third full with the dried Hawthorne berries then fill the jar all the way to the top of 100-proof vodka, shake it well for the okay. first three days, and mm-hmm. make sure that it's labeled, 
and then I can start using it in six weeks, although I think it reaches maximum effectiveness in about a year. Okay, so right now I'm taking the syrup, so should I change to tincture so it will be uh, more... uh, Did you make the syrup? Did you make a syrup for fresh No, 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 I just got it from... uh, uh, Amazon, like Dr. Christopher's one, like that's what I found. Uh, so like. I would think that that's a, a less effective remedy than the tincture because there's less Hawthorne in it. So tincture is better? I think it would be a less effective remedy, what you're taking, than the tincture because I would guess okay. that there's less Hawthorne in it. Oh, okay. So I should go I should go for tincture, right? I mean, I can order tincture from one of the... Uh, uh, I'm not telling you what you should and shouldn't do, no matter how many times you ask me. You're going to have to decide. No, no, no. I mean, you're you're telling like the syrup is less less hot on than the tincture, right? I don't have the syrup. I don't know for sure. But it's my... What I have said, and I will say it one last time, and only Mm -hmm. one last time, the tincture is going to be more effective than any Mm -hmm. syrup. Okay. Unless that was a homemade Thank syrup you. that you made from fresh hawthorn berries. And it does oh, no, not sound not. like that's oh, what it okay. is. And okay. I personally wouldn't buy herbs the way you're buying them. So I got my motherwort from Catskill, so maybe even the hawthorn I can order the tinctures. Okay, yeah. Okay, good. Hawthorn grows prolifically in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. All right. Thanks for your questions. Green blessings. Yeah, green blessing. Thank you, Susan. Emma Lee Saldaya is the trailblazing leader and founder of Free Birth Society. Emily was a doula for over 10 years, and then the reality of her complicity with the obstetric system and the harms that it does to women and babies prompted her to find a better way in aligning with free birth. Emily's dharmic path became clear, and she quickly evolved into a radical birthkeeper who serves women who birth outside the system. Emily founded Free Birth Society prior to the conscious conception of her first child and went on to give birth to her daughter freely on Maui, Hawaii. Emily's acclaimed podcast, the Free Birth Society podcast, has quickly become a fan favorite and reaches millions of people. The Free Birth Society private membership has become a bastion of birth freedom, truth, and community in a world in which women's birth choices are increasingly curtailed. Emily is an inspiring and inspired coach with the ability to immediately hone in on self-sabotage and mental blocks that can keep women stuck in unproductive patterns. Her approach is warm, kind, ferocious, and transformational. She gives her clients the spacious witnessing that allows them to step into their own power. Emily currently lives in Colorado and used to travel internationally as a speaker, coach, and leader. Who knows what the future holds? Welcome to the show, Emily. (laughs) Thank you so much. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Well, let's start um, with establishing what free birth is. Does that mean it doesn't cost anything? It certainly can, yeah, I would say so. Uh, Free birth really fundamentally means birth that is happening in the absence of hired, um, you know, medical providers. But I I would, so it's also known as family birth, unassisted birth, 
Um, but I would also add another layer to it, which I, I also feel it is in the absence of having doulas or really anyone with, a, with an outside expertise being invited into the birth. Um, so, yeah, family-centered birth, just women having their babies in their home without, um, without engaging in the allopathic model. I recall uh, Janine Parvati saying, the two of you got it in there, you can get it out. <laughs> exactly. Yep. We've been led to think that that's not likely, that there's something very dangerous about giving birth. Yeah, and actually I was listening to you speak with this that woman before, and I actually wrote down what you said when you said, can you imagine this being done without surgery? And if so, there's a strong possibility that it can. And that really stood out to me because it's, it's so relevant. It's the same, same idea, um, of course, with the body in, in all variations. Um, and birth is not, not excluded in that. So, you know, of course, we can always turn to our biology nature, what we know about us as mammals and all mammals, and really birth is quite similar across the mammalian animal kingdom. And so a lot of, I think, what stands in our way at this point, like you just pointed to, is our own socialization, you know, generations of women believing and integrating and internalizing the story that they needed, uh, usually a, a male you know, doctor to oversee their experience. And obviously we know that so many women and grandmothers are walking around on this planet, you know, believing that they couldn't do it and that their baby would have surely died. And um, we also know that that couldn't possibly be true to the amount of people who believe that. Um, the statistics, you know, and the, and the facts just don't uh, agree with that narrative. I called my mom when I had my baby, and I said, it's a girl, because of course it's before sonograms. And she said, oh, when did you have her? And I said, oh, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes ago. And she said, what are you doing awake? And I said, I was awake for the whole thing. She said, women cannot survive the pain of childbirth. Whoa. Because, of course, you know, she was of the generation where they let her get to transition where you have the greatest pain, and then they knocked her out. Hmm. Yeah, so that's she, the same. Course, my, my and then they grabbed me with forceps, right, because she couldn't push. And so mm -hmm. she thought the pain just got worse and worse and worse from there. Mm. And never had, yeah, the, exactly. never had the aha, the orgasmic moment of the big push and the really saying, look at what my body can do. Oh, my gosh, you know, like Janine Shinoda Bolin, you know, who said as she pushed her baby out, she realized that she was one with every woman on the planet. Mhm. Yeah, you can't have that experience if you're unconscious, you know, and and as the the, you know, my grandmother's generation, all of the all of my aunts and uncles were were born, you know, while my grandmothers, both of them were were on ether, were unconscious and and it's it's not a thing of the past. You know, today it's called an epidural uh, you know, which, which obviously is narcotics and local anesthetic. And, and so often women are so drugged that they don't have memory of it. And you could maybe argue that it's trauma too. But, um, you know, to have some consciousness, you know, on the drugs, of course, is, is the common experience. But also we don't talk about how many, 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 many women are knocked out during their C-section and um, they don't even know that it occurred. You know, they're just experiencing dipping in and out um, 
you know, after usually a very long experience of, of trauma and, and, you know, all the stuff, <laughs> just all the stuff. You so know, we have made such work. great strides in bringing breastfeeding forward and really, you know, showing that breastfeeding is healthy, that it's really hard to see how we've been slip sliding away on the other things so that, you know, I read the medical reports that it's far safer to induce labor than it is to let it occur mm-hmm. naturally. And I think, wow, we have really, really slid away from any trust at all in a woman's body. And why is that? Well, you're talking about, you know, what happened in the the ancient past. And unfortunately, most women's bodies are not in the same condition now that they were in the ancient past. Mm -hmm. They're not getting fed the good foods. They're not getting fed the foods with enough chi in them. They're not getting the kind of exercise. They're not getting the kind of sleeping on the earth. And so when we do come to births by women who are in this empty state, um, it is, in fact, very different from what went on a 1,000 years ago or 10,000 years ago. And what I have found is that the women who are attracted to free births are the women who are the ones who are taking care of themselves, who are eating well, who are exercising well, who are doing the foundational medicines. And the Mm -hmm. women who aren't attracted are the ones who um, are too busy to make nourishing herbal infusion. Mm -hmm. Or too something. Or too something. Yeah, for me, it really comes down to the willingness to take responsibility. And and I say that... um, you know, really intentionally, because I I also understand that responsibility um, isn't something that can be forced on anybody. It's a willingness that occurs from within. And I've seen it happen um, just beautifully throughout all different uh, socioeconomic statuses and, and all different types of women from all different communities. And unfortunately, it's often a response to having first been traumatized, you know, in, in the industrial birth, you know, system. Um, and so many transformations are happening on the backs of, you know, really horrific treatment. And, and so many women find free birth, you know, finally being like, I cannot survive another C-section or another, you know, another time of being <clears throat> tortured and my child being kidnapped and so that that is one demographic I see come to free birth. And then, like you said, there's also, and in that, I guess, sorry, I'll finish that thought. In that, there is a sense of responsibility because it involves enormous risk. And I don't mean even the risk of, um, you know, what happens when you take responsibility, you know, within the life and death possibility of birth. I just mean the the risk of uh, social, you know, being ostracized, social uh, shame, not being supported, going against the grain, the inherent intellectual and, and literal social risk that it that it asks of a woman who chooses free birth is something I've never seen a woman ever take lightly, and yet it becomes still completely worth it as a woman. Um, takes responsibility for how she wants, you know, the story of her, of her child and her um, to be, right? And so I, I want to say also for anyone listening who this is a new concept to, just in case this isn't obvious, I want to say that uh, I've never met a woman who wanted or did free birth 
who also wasn't completely grateful for, um, you know, having access to medical care and, uh, and would use it if they or she felt like that was what was needed. So this isn't at all a setup of being like, you know, damn everything and there's no good in anything and we're, we're free birth or nothing. And it's, I've never actually encountered anyone who thinks that way. And, and instead, back to responsibility, it's about the willingness to take responsibility for setting up the story that you want to have, for setting up the optimal environment. And then the rest is co-created with the universe. And of course, if you're in a safe environment with only your loved ones and your intuition and your maternal instincts, most importantly, are being centered, you will have the you know, internal information, you will be resourced to figure out if something needs to shift, you know, if you do need more support, <clears throat> if something feels off or wrong. Um, it really is actually in that, you know, kind of self-centering, really, which women, of course, are not allowed to do, um, the self-centering of a woman's own environment and instincts that, deep, 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 deep knowledge and intuition can be accessed. And of course, it's also in total alignment with the intended hormonal blueprint, you know, a physiological birth. I've been thinking of two stories that are kind of the opposite sides of a coin. My sister was midwife for a great many years, and she was working with a very well-educated woman, as a matter of fact, a woman who was a chiropractor. And she just got hung up in her labor. And the kid not seemed to be in. She was right around six, and she was just wasn't progressing, wasn't progressing. And we're talking like more than a day has passed. And so my sister finally said, "You know, I think we should just take you to the hospital." I think that. And this woman was like, "No, I'm going to have a home birth. No, 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 no." And you know, my sister's saying, "It's just, it's not okay what's going on. So let's just go to the hospital and see what happens. And I'll be there and I'll protect you." And so they went to the hospital. And she was laying on a gurney in the hall, and an older male um, obstetrician walked by, stopped at her gurney, put his hand on her head and said, you know, you're going to do just fine. And she immediately progressed to eight. And my sister said she needed her dad's permission. Hmm. And they turned around and left the hospital, and she had her birth at home. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Right, and then my friend, who I accompanied, she didn't want to do it at home, but she, but there's a nearby hospital that has a home birth center in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So you give birth in a room that looks like a bedroom, except it's filled with medical equipment all around the edges. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. So I mean, anybody who's like really thinking it's like a home birth, it's not. But okay, and mm-hmm. that's what she wanted. And two things, she really wanted it to be a water birth. And when we got her in the tub, her labor stopped, S-T-O-P-P-E-D, stopped. And we let her sit there and chill for a couple of hours, and then we said, out you go. And she says, no, no, I'm having a water birth. And we said, so long you're sitting in this warm water, you're not having any kind of birth at all, out. And so her instinct was, in a way, fighting with, her mental concept of how it was going to be, and it was going to be in the water, and that was going to be great. But she had the opposite experience with her male gynecologist, who is a wonderful, wonderful man. But she called me up and said she was in labor, and off we went. And uh, we got there, and they 
laid her down flat on her back and put the you know the monitor around her belly, and the doctor came in and looked at her and said, oh, "These are not real contractions. <laughs> These are not anywhere close enough together. You should just go on home." And I looked at him and I said, "What do you want?" He said, "I want contractions coming, you know, every." 90 seconds to two minutes within two hours. I said, fine. And he left the room, and we took the birth monitor off her. We got her up. We took her outside. We walked her around. We got some cannabis into her. And when he came back, she was having contractions exactly as he wanted and went on to have a very easy, except for the fact that we had to get her out of the hot tub, normal um, home-style birth, let us put it. Mm-hmm. But there, you know, Dad was being, uh, there was holding Dad. Dad was being the criticizing Dad. And we had to mm-hmm. kind of shake it loose. There was a screening of a movie about the farm, and um, of course made famous by Anna Gaskin, um, as well as Stephen Gaskin. And uh, of my era, and I, of course, no, Ina May. I always cherish, but Ina May said to, to me, she said, you know, Susan, I love being around you because you make me seem so normal. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> Very cute. Those are right? good friends to have. <laughs> right. And uh, Stephen, you know, we miss him a lot. And uh, so I was invited to the local movie theater screening this and said, would you please come and just, you know, give a little talk or answer some questions afterwards? And I did. And one of the members of the audience was the man who was in the car ready to transport a woman from the farm should it be needed, right? Anna Ina May did a huge number of births at the farm. And sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes with women that she knew, but frequently with women who just kind of dropped in and said, oh, hi, you know, I'm going to give birth here. Right, right. And um, he, said, he said what was most interesting to him was how many times he sat there in that car being ready to transport a woman and how very, very rarely it ever happened. Of course, yeah. So I think we've talked about some of the difficult and egregious things that are currently going on in the obstetric practice in the United States. And is there any particular thing that you want to warn women about that. Like, for instance, one of the things that I say to women is, if you're going to you know, put yourself into the medical system as a pregnant woman, the very first thing that you want to do is lie about when your last period was. <laughs> Give yourself at yeah. least an extra two or three weeks. I, I, would, I would go a, a step further to say anywhere that you feel like you need to lie, you might want to question where and why and and how you're, you're you know what, what, why you're choosing what you're choosing. Um, yeah, I guess I guess my only I've never really thought about it to frame it as a warning, but but um, but maybe I could would would really just be to get really honest with yourself if what you want is actually in alignment with what you're willing to have. 
because lots of women say, oh, I want a natural birth, and, and then they, you know, default to whatever insurance, you know, OB they get, and they go in, and they have no relationship, and, you know, maybe they kind of bypass that they feel a little ignored and a little pushed through the factory system, and, you know, all the while, they're having really what is quite a spiritual experience, and really one of the most holy, epic experiences of, of human existence is to to grow and, and navigate, you know, the process of pregnancy. And, you know, I, I really, it, it, we can't look to the system to change. I think that it changes with us. And for me personally, I'm not all that interested in reform. I think there's much more power in being a part of a new paradigm that you really want to see in the world. So, you know, for me, it was really clear I had enough experience watching women be abused and lied to and humiliated and tortured, um, you know, very seriously for, for over 10 years. So and I guess please, I would, listeners, yeah. not think that Emily is exaggerating. She's not. No. I use those words very, uh, very seriously, and it's not casual. This is not, um, this is not light or funny at all. I mean, I've, I've, I have a lot of trauma from secondary trauma, I should say, from um, the the horrific, horrific violence um, against women and their babies. Um, and this is not a random thing. You know, I was a really busy doula in L.A. I've, I've attended over 500 births in the system, um, you know, in just like eight to ten years. So, you know, this is – and also, I guess I should, I should also say, now that I have a global platform, you know, I'm coaching women in their trauma debriefs all over the world, and it's it's all variations of the same story. I wasn't listened to, you know, I was humiliated, I wasn't allowed to consent or have any voice, I had no right to refusal, and so back, back to your question, I guess I really want to call out that this is an industry completely out of integrity. They are not, they are often not, um, they're, they're like cheap salesmen. Like they're not actually selling the thing that they actually do. And it can sound really extreme if you haven't seen it and if you don't want to believe it. And, and I'll be honest, I don't know if I would believe how disgusting it is if I hadn't seen it for 10 years, uh, you know, but, but I did. And, and here I am to talk about it. So really, I guess my, my, my invite to anyone listening, especially if you're pregnant, you know, or, or planning to have more children or whatever, is to really choose yourself and get clear on what is your dream. And it is not, it is not selfish to listen to the maternal instinct inside of you that has a dream for a loving, respectful, peaceful birth. That is actually how it is supposed to be, and that is how it was until patriarchal reign, you know, took over. And it's not natural, it's not right, and it's not in alignment with our biology. It is not in alignment with everything that, um, you know, everything is a, like a, what's the word? Like a building block to everything else, right? So a normal physiological birth where the mother feels respected and witnessed and held in her you know, transformation, and then her baby's not taken from her, and there's no abuse, there's no trauma. She just gets to have the mind-blowing, wild experience that it is, and then process it while she's hormonally bonding to her young that's on her breast and on her chest 
no separation, being well cared for. Like this is not a selfish vision. This is how it's supposed to be and how it can be for you, but it cannot be that way if you go to a hospital. It just can't. Your baby will be separated. Things will get done to you. And to to live in denial of that because you don't want it to be true um, doesn't render good stories. It just doesn't. And so I always go back to responsibility. And it starts with what is your dream? You know, write it down. Tell your partner. Tell your your friends. What is your birth dream? If, If I were to sit with you two months postpartum and say, tell me your birth story, what would you want to say? Mm. Write that down. Get clear on what that is and then look at it. Because if it's going in and out of your shower and eating food out of your fridge and being witnessed and held and respected and catching your own baby and, you know, having your baby in your bed, but you're planning a hospital birth, but then you're out of alignment. So it starts with you. If your dream is an elective C-section, you know, to choose the baby's birth date, to not have to, you know, deal with with any, you know, story about your vagina getting ruined, okay, then do that. Whatever it is, take responsibility for it because you're the generator of your life. None of this is happening to us. We are co-creating all of this. And when we take that responsibility, absolute transformation can happen And I guess the last thing I want to say is that this is not a compartmentalized event in a woman's life or in a family's life. I have seen women who have birthed on their own terms in sovereignty and in power, um, you know, in their own homes. It's completely transformed, you know, their body dysmorphia or they finally got the courage to leave their abusive husband or finally set boundaries with their toxic mother or quit their job and start an online business so they can stay home. Like it's all connected, you know, and that's the big lie that, that women can just like go to a little room that they've never seen before and be with a bunch of strangers they don't know. And then things just happen and they get a baby and they get wheelchaired back a couple of days later and no one talks about it. You know, like, what is that? That's absolute madness, and we're, we're, we're literally manufacturing little soldiers, you know, soldiers like these little soldiers who are, who are actually being bought, brought into this world through induction, you know, to be induced. Like they're being induced into a society that has women at the bottom of the barrel, and their births are an example of that, and then no one talks about it, and then everyone wonders as adults, why we're all so messed up and why we can't attach properly and why everyone is so toxic to each other. It's like, hello. It all starts with As Francis LeBoyer says, how long can humanity exist if we stop having oxytocin as part of the birth? We have exactly. to have hormones. We have to have the feel-good bonding hormones. And as birth is in institutional and hospital settings in the United States now, that is just about impossible. And so another mm-hmm. warning that I give women, and of course you you know, you say that your menstrual cycle, you give yourself that extra time because so many places are so fierce about inducing if you're not on your due date. 
and a great many mm-hmm. women will go a week or even two weeks past due with no harm at all. Of course. Just cut yourself that slack right at the very beginning. But the next thing to know is if you're going to be in that hospital, in that institution, whatever you have to do to convince them that you will not accept an IV line, because they say, we're just going to put in an IV line in case you need it. And you need to be very firm right then. No, I won't accept that. If you need to say, I'm a Christian scientist, they're not going to ask you any questions about that. They'll just believe you. If you have to say, I'm totally allergic to anything that goes into my body through a needle, they're probably not going to question you. So whatever you have to do, if you have to be in that situation, again, um, is worth doing. And your point is well taken. Wow, where are you if you have to lie to protect yourself? Well, we already went over that. There's some reasons for that because you may feel social appropriate. I mean, I don't have a grandmother. My grandmother gave birth three times at home, including twins, no problems. When she was pregnant with my mother, the two sides of the family began to war. And because hospital birth was so much safer, and she was shunted into a hospital birth, even though she had successfully given birth three times before. And a doctor came from an autopsy to examine her after the birth, and she was dead within 72 hours. Oh. Wow. That's how safe her hospital birth was. Right, exactly. And 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 that myth has been going on for this hundred years. You'll be safer in the hospital. There's not a single statistic that bears that out. Totally. Right, and if you're black or brown, it is even more dangerous, right? We know that black and brown women in North America are dying three to four times um, in some, you know, more than their white counterparts, and in New York it's even as much as 12. So it, it's actually provedly more dangerous you know, in many demographics. And, and yeah, I guess I kind of want to go back to your IV comment because I totally hear your point, and I would just add that um, – if you're going to the hospital because you need something, you're not going to be able, like really need something, like from a medical you know, perspective, you're not going to be able to avoid the IV, even though I totally get your point. But what I've seen when women decline and really fight to decline, something like the IV, is they get punished. You know, I've seen a lot of women be punished with instruments, with, with bullying, with aggression, with physical violence, when they fought to decline something. So it's very complex, um, and it happens, you know, it happens in every hospital I've ever been in um, with every, you know, every demographic of women. So it, it's really, I, I do think it brings back and highlights kind of the bigger point of, like, if you're going, know why you're going, you know, like know why you're going and get that thing. And if you are one of the very, 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 very few women who will actually need medical intervention, um, okay. But but to contend with the reality that almost no one will need, will truly need life-saving support during their birth, that's asking, you know, women, you know, 95% are going into the hospital right now. That's asking 95% of women to contend with the fact that they've been completely lied to and that, in fact, they can trust themselves, their body can be trusted, and it is most likely that it would all happen and unfold um, extremely well. And that's, that's a very confronting thing. You know, like I, I coach so many yeah, women. And, of course, part of, part of that abuse, abuse is the fear-mongering because the woman may mm-hmm. feel strong, but then the doctor comes in and says, 
well, you know, perhaps you feel okay, but your baby's going to die if you don't do this. Right. And somehow somehow we've so successfully as a as a culture separated mother baby, right? As if a as if a guy who doesn't even know this woman cares more about the baby growing inside of her than the mother herself. I mean, it's so infantilizing. It's so patriarchal. It's so um it's so disrespectful and and it's just so beautiful from my from where I sit in the world in this little space I've carved out to watch women all over the world just go no. <laughs> I'm just not Emily, doing that. if women want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Freebirthsociety.com. That's easy. <laughs> it's been so wonderful talking to you. It's hard to believe that our time is up, but it's a blog talk show, and, you know, they just slam that gate down on us. So I want to thank you for the beautiful threads that you're adding to our reweaving of the healing cloak of the ancients. And I hope that you're drinking nourishing herbal infusions and that you're encouraging your pregnant lactating women to drink nourishing herbal infusions. They are one, uh, to my mind, of the real secret foundations that give us uh, what we need in order to um, do the things that you've been talking about. Thank you for Rebecca for helping me make herbal medicine as people's medicine a reality. It's all of you out there who are using herbal medicine as your medicine, as people's medicine, that have um, taken my goal and turned it into something that I smile at and say, oh, my gosh, it's really happened, and it's only going to happen more and more and more. And perhaps um, as herbal medicine, as people's medicine, comes to more and more uh, places, we will also begin to understand um, that, um, it is the most powerful adjunct to free birth known. Green yes, buzzing so to everybody. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Good night, Thank Emily. You. Good night, Rebecca. Good night, Good night. everybody. Blessing.